You're listening to Amphibicast. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for joining me again. Tonight, I'm going to do a little short episode. I had a little extra time left in my billing cycle on Buzzsprout, which is the uh, site host that hosts the RSS feed for my podcast. And I had a little extra time. I wanted to put out a quick episode about how to function in the hobby on a budget. And uh, it's one of those things that uh, comes up from time to time, and we're going to cover that. But, uh, of course, the usual stuff. Uh, thanks for the nice five-star reviews and Apple Podcasts. Great way to get the show out there to a wider audience. I'd like to thank everyone who left the nice five-star reviews. And uh, another great way to support the show is to become a patron on Patreon. Feel free to click on the link tree in the show notes. Uh, that will take you to everything for the podcast. It'll take you to the Patreon uh, if you want to become a patron, I've got a few different tiers, one as low as a dollar a month, with the more popular tier being the $5 a month, and that'll get you a shout-out at the beginning of an upcoming episode. I also have links to the merch store. There's plenty of cool t-shirts, stickers, and stuff like that if you want to get some Amphibicast merch. And there's a link that'll take you to in-situ ecosystems, and you'll get an automatic 10% discount on your purchase if you make a purchase through that link, because now I'm an affiliate with in-situ, and uh, you'll get a 10% off your product. A little small commission comes back to me at absolutely no cost to you. That's another way, way to support the show and get a great quality of Ivarium at the same time. Uh, you'll also find a link down there to uh, the EVAC Foundation if you want to support conservation for Panamanian amphibians. Click on that link. It'll take you to wherever you need to go. So other than that, let's get into it tonight. Uh, hobby on a budget. So given the current state of affairs in the U.S. economy and really worldwide, it goes without saying that many people are on a much tighter budget today than they may have been in the past. Material costs are up, availability is down, fuel costs are at record highs, labor and staffing issues, taxes and regulations. All these things influence our lives in some way or another when it comes down to dollars and cents. And it goes without saying that many of us have had to make sacrifices in order to make ends meet. And despite all this, however, though, it is very important that we have some sort of diversion to keep our minds off of the grim state of affairs that the world is in. Now, obviously, if you're listening to this podcast, you're like me, you have an interest in keeping amphibians just like I do. The thing is, though, this particular hobby can get expensive, even though we love it as much as we do. Uh, there are ways to successfully keep amphibians on a budget, though, if we understand how to do it properly. And to be clear, I just want to state right off the bat that being on a budget doesn't mean skipping out on important aspects of proper husbandry. You should always be financially able to provide your animals with all the care and necessities and everything that they need, including housing, diet, supplementation, etc. But there are ways to do this without breaking the bank. If we think outside the box a little bit, we're willing to kind of uh, put the whole convenience uh, pricing thing out of the way and if we make some careful but informed decisions. Remember, a lot of this is paying for convenience, and if you're willing to put in a little extra work, you can definitely save in the long term. So for tonight's episode, I'm going to run down some cost-effective alternatives, some solutions to problems that might come up, and a few successful hacks that might be able to not only get you into the hobby, but even help you stay in the hobby on a budget if your financial situation changes, which it very well can. You know, look, we live in uncertain times, and it's very, very easy uh, to be in a new situation, people unfortunately lose their jobs, they have life events, family events, etc. And you really shouldn't have to give everything up that means so much to you without being able to make some sort of accommodations to keep it in your life, even if it's just a small way. So let's get into it tonight. So first things first, if we want to keep amphibians on a budget, we should really address one of the most important things that we're going to need to keep really any species of amphibian properly. And that, of course, is a proper enclosure. But enclosures can be pricey if we're on a budget. So what do we do? Well, right off the bat, one of the greatest things that you can take advantage of is 
sites like Craigslist or eBay, etc. It's very, very easy to sink big bucks into a nice new glass aquarium for our frogs that can retail from you know anywhere from $150 up to thousands, depending on what size and other factors you want to take into consideration. Obviously, we'd prefer something brand new, which is always the goal, but there are ways to get great enclosures at a good price. And the best way to do that is to, like I said, get one used or secondhand. One of the good or well, good and bad aspects of the reptile and amphibian hobby is the fact that many people are here today and gone tomorrow, which means that there's plenty of people out there who are getting out of the hobby or completely out of the hobby for whatever reasons and may have old tanks that they'd like to get rid of. As I said, in the U.S., we have Craigslist and eBay, and I'm sure there's other similar platforms in Canada and outside of the continental U.S. as well. And these are great platforms to look for used enclosures. It's, it's kind of like the bargain basement. And after skimming Craigslist myself for a few times over the course of a few weeks, just kind of putting a little research into this topic, I saw a few listings for some decent-sized front-opening terrariums for as low as $75 U.S., Obviously, they needed some TLC and a good cleaning, but the savings are huge if you're willing to put in the work and restore an old Exoterra, Zoomed, Terram, whatever. Even old fish tanks in larger sizes can go for very, very cheap, but be prepared for local pickups since most people are not going to ship them. Like I said, most people want to get rid of these things. They're out of the hobby. They either lost interest or, ironically, in and of themselves, they may want to get out of it for a financial reason. So one of the biggest tank scores that you can get is either Craigslist, eBay, or my personal favorite is going to be a yard sale. A few years, well, more than a few years back, I should say, this is probably about 20 years ago, uh, I passed by a yard sale on the way home from work one day, and uh, I noticed that the people having the yard sale had three aquariums outside. They had two 29-gallon aquariums and a 20-gallon tall. And a 20-gallon tall, I've never really seen uh, since, but it's kind of like, uh, I guess, maybe like a 12, 12 by 18 by 24 high. So it's a pretty cool size, especially for our boreal frogs. So needless to say, I wanted them. All these odd sizes would have really made great enclosures. And uh, I, I asked the person how much she wanted for them, but the price was a little bit high. So I passed and, you know, drove away. But later that evening, I was on my way home from work and I saw all three tanks that were now sitting at the curb with the trash. So obviously she did not sell them and now they were out there with the rest of the garbage. So what did I do? Uh, yeah, I, <laughs> I grabbed them and uh, I still have them to this day. In fact, my mossy frogs have been in one of them for over six years now. So I got all three tanks for free because this person was just throwing them out. Uh, they otherwise would have just ended up in a dump and it seemed like, uh, seemed like a waste not to take advantage of it. So it took me a whole day of washing them out, cleaning them to get the hard water stains off, the glass, uh, um, you know, big bottle of uh, white vinegar does the trick with that, disinfecting them properly with a bleach solution after the vinegar solution had been washed away, water testing them to see which ones held water and which ones didn't, and then letting the air dry. But you can't argue with free. So it took me quite a while to get these tanks ready to go and up in order, but at the end of the day, look, a tank that costs $0 is a great way to save money, and I got three of them. So take advantage of used tanks when you can if you want to save a few bucks. Garage sales can be great ways to score. You might even find things cheaper than on uh, some of the listing sites like Craigslist, eBay, etc. Just remember, it's very important to, to always fully disinfect and clean any used enclosure properly before putting into service. Uh, like I said, it can be a bit of a process. You want to get the glass clean and you also want to make sure that everything is properly sanitized and sterilized. Generally, a 10% bleach solution is usually enough to sanitize things to the point where they can be safe. But when in doubt, there's a lot of resources online. You can go and find out how to disinfect a tank the best way you can. Uh, 
you know, just think about that. Make sure that everything's clean. You don't just pick one up off the side of the road and throw your frogs into it. So besides secondhand and used tanks, there's another great way to be able to save, and that's doing the DIY approach. Um, There's a lot of people now who like to do things themselves, and I'm one of those people. I like to be creative and kind of repurpose things that I know that I can use for my animals that will work successfully with them. So, I mean, one thing I do want to mention, though, is that with the DIY approach, there's a couple of different ways we can go with this. And I, I want to say that most of us kind of agree that amphibians and, and dart frogs in particular is a very, very visual hobby. The plants, the hardscapes, the frogs, they're essentially works of art to us. But we can still keep, so you could still keep frogs and many other species in less visually appealing enclosures if the need presents itself. So what I'm going to say here may f- sound like flat out heresy, and I'm sure you guys might kind of gasp and take a second, uh, <laughs> take a second breath when I mention this, but you can keep frogs successfully in a big, clear, Rubbermaid tote container with just a few modifications. I know it's not ideal for viewing, but it can still get the job done. In fact, I know a few people who keep breeding pairs in modified plastic bins, and they reproduce fine, they feed, they color up to some the same point that they would in a glass tank. It does take the fun out of viewing them, but for a breeding operation, quarantine, whatever, grow out, it suits its purpose fine. As long as it has, you know, some air circulation and uh, it can be lit, it'll function the same way as any of these other tanks do. And to be honest, I actually have one of my frogs in a modified Rubbermaid container. In fact, it's the uh, horned frog that I've had for about two years now. And this is the frog that needs a little extra TLC, if you remember uh, his story a while back. So I don't have him set up in anything that's super visually appealing. Um, Plastic totes, they're cheaper than tanks of the same size. So the, the tote that I have him in is, you know, the same size as a tank that might go for triple, quadruple the, the price. So there's a couple of bonuses to these types of setups. They're lighter. They hold in humidity very, very well. They're easily broken down for cleaning. They can be modified any way you like. If you're in the process of moving where you have to kind of pack up your stuff and go, it's a lot easier to move a Rubbermaid tote with a couple of handles than it is to move a big exoterra or aquarium of the same size. So that's another fact to consider if you're in the move or something like that. And, uh, you know, you might have to pick up and go, but you don't want to have to sacrifice your frogs. Nice portable enclosure that's sizable and that can handle their needs is definitely the way to go. So that's definitely a, a popular route to take. If you want to, don't want to sacrifice the visual appeal of it, I will say that there are conversion kits out there that I know are really popular with crested gecko and tree python keepers for really the same reason. Uh, tubs and whatnot are very, very popular in, in those worlds. So, I mean, again, you're not going to want to spend money on a green tree python and not be able to see it. Same way with a gecko or, or a frog. So there are conversion kits that you can buy to create a clear viewing side on one side of the tote if you choose to do so. I haven't priced any of them. I mean, I know that they are kind of kind of pricey since you are buying a kit and then technically you're upselling, but uh, you could probably DIY some of these kits yourself, whether it's just, uh, you know, siliconing a, a, pla- a, a pane of clear glass to the front of it after you cut, make a cutout. There's, there's many different things you can do. There's lots of good content out there that can show you how to DIY and make some enclosures that'll be much cheaper in the long term. So, that's another important thing to consider. Yes, it's not aesthetically as nice. And uh, I mean, look, aesthetically, the hobby that's a big thing to me, the look, the the visual appeal. But look, like I said, if you have a frog and that you, you know, or you, you have a certain species that uh, maybe you want to grow it out in a smaller container so that you can upsize it first before you commit it to a big one, Rubbermaid totes are a great way to go. 
Another option to build your own enclosure is also from, from glass. Um, I see this being more practical if you want to build a really, really large aquarium and you don't want to spend upwards of $1,000 or whatnot. So all you really need for this is a glass shop and the know-how. I mean, I don't really want to make this a tutorial on how to cut glass and whatnot, but there's plenty of good views out, uh, excuse me, not views, uh, videos out there on YouTube. Uh, Troy's channel is a great resource. Troy's built a lot of really large, uh, large enclosures. DIY with uh, you know with glass that he purchased from Glass Shop. Obviously, you guys have all checked out Troy's channel, but um, if you want to investigate that option as an alternative to buying a very very large pre-made enclosure, uh, yeah, it can definitely be done. It's a fairly common way to do so. So, look, you don't have to spend X amount of dollars to be able to get a functional enclosure to keep an animal in. And like I said, as long as it serves its intended purpose, it's effective, it accommodates the animal's needs. It doesn't necessarily have to be pretty. All right, although. Technically, that is the goal here. So another way to save some money by kind of doing things yourself and thinking about outside the box a little bit is think about what goes into the actual enclosure. And in that case, at least with um, with terrestrial species and tree frog species, uh, that also, I mean, substrate doesn't have to cost a fortune. And as the whole bioactive thing has gained momentum, I see a lot of people out there selling kits with pro- uh, proprietary substrate blends and, and fancy drainage layers and drainage barriers and everything else at really, really high prices that, um, you know, maybe outside the price range for the average, per- average person. But you can make your own substrate and drainage layer on a budget with really big savings. And believe me, this I did this for years. I did this for a long time before there were any types of prepackaged uh, substrates out there. So you do want to consider what type of species you're keeping. Uh, obviously for dart frogs, you really don't want to keep them on a spe- on a uh, substrate that would be inappropriate. But for certain other amphibian species, you definitely can. Uh, look, there's no shame in using paper to- moist paper towel substrate uh, from time to time. Personally, I think it's more difficult to clean. Uh, but if you're changing it regularly, if you're changing it daily, that's another option, although paper towels can get to be a little bit expensive uh, unless you're getting the unbleached uh, brown type, which can which can go for cheaper. But uh, long term, I think a substrate that will last longer, I mean, that they go with the whole bioactive thing, um, it will last longer, it will be more effective, and it will take some of the, some of the work out, although you, you do have to spot clean. But the point is, I don't really see necessarily a benefit of of a branded substrate as opposed to a more generic a generic substrate. Like I said, I I did it for years. I experimented with different things, and it's not as complex as people make it out to be. But all right, so so what do we do? All right, you want to get your substrate. Let's just say for argument's sake, this is a typical we'll say a typical dart frog type of setup. Um, the cheapest way to start, I guess, would be with well, let, let's see, let's break it down step by step. Um, Let's think about the drainage layer itself. We'll go from the from the bottom up. The drainage layer doesn't necessarily have to be anything special. Uh, the big thing now is Lika in part because it looks more naturalistic, but there are other options. Egg crate light diffuser in big box stores go for a few dollars and can be very easily shaped and secured to create a hardscape and drainage layer. Vinyl window screen is really all you need. I know some people like to use weed block. I kind of like to use the vinyl window screen, but that's a great substrate barrier. You can buy a whole big length of it for much cheaper than the little two by two sheet that you're going to get from the you know reptile vendor. And it really does the job. I mean, to be honest, I've seen bioactive kits that are supposed to accommodate a 10 to 20 gallon tank for like over a hundred bucks online. And for half that, for like 50 bucks, you can get window screen, egg crate, etc. 
and really more than you'd ever need to be able to build your own um, your own drainage layer. Uh, another way to think outside the box is also think about you know where you shop. Uh, hydroponic store is a great place to get a huge bag of Lika. That's how I bought mine. I didn't buy mine in the pet store. I bought mine at uh, at a hydroponic store. So that's another option is think about where you actually buy your stuff. It's it's supposed to be functional, right? It's supposed to be a place for water to go after it drains out of the substrate. So in any way you can pull it off really shouldn't matter. I know a lot of people are concerned about how it looks visually, but there's also some really inexpensive ways to cover it up. If it's something visual, you don't want to see a bunch of rocks or whatever sitting at the bottom of the tank. You can use a black sheet of contact paper or construction paper, whatever, over the bottom part. You can line it up, make it nice. You won't even see the drainage layer at all. So that's another way to kind of conceal things if you're not using a material that's particularly attractive. Like it's say, for example, old aquarium gravel or river stones or whatever it is, might not be visually the most appealing, you know, might make the tank a little extra heavy, whatever, but you can pretty much use anything that's realistically inert. You don't really want anything that's going to have a lot of nutrients in it. Um, I've noticed that certain situations with aquarium gravel that uh, I've sourced from like big box stores, uh, I've had issues with cyanobacteria breakouts in that drainage layer. So give your stuff, give your, if you're going to use gravel, give it a good rinse, rinse it outside. You can get a huge bag again from Home Depot, Lowe's or whatever for much, much cheaper. Just make sure you hose it off really well. And then you won't have, hopefully won't have the same issues. But I found that cyanobacteria kind of goes away, especially if you don't give it any light. And again, another great reason to just cover it up with some contact paper. So that's another great way to do it. If you want to use ABG, there are ways to source the ABG materials on your own. You can buy horticultural charcoal or natural hardwood charcoal in bulk, which will probably cost you a lot less than the little tiny bag that you're going to get from the reptile vendor. These are all great ways to do it. The important thing is, though, is you want to make sure that uh, your source for the materials is trustworthy. I'm, I used to be able to get cypress mulch really, really cheap from an agricultural supply. I used it for years, probably like for a good 15 years, and they closed down and went out of business. I'm reluctant to get it from places like Home Depot and Lowe's just because I've seen them put it near bags of fertilizer and things like that. So you want to make sure that you got a good vendor if you're going to be buying like a big bag of, say, cypress mulch or something like that in bulk. Uh, if you don't want to use a different substrate like the ABG is great for dwarf frogs, but if you're keeping horn frogs or something like that, 100% cypress mulch works perfectly. It, it You don't get mold, you don't get fungus, and it should be cheap enough that you can change it if need be. So that's another great way to think about it is, look, you're going into a pet store, you know, a big box pet store, you're spending $20, $30 on a bag of substrate. Well, you could probably get that same material for about five or six bucks if you look elsewhere. But just make sure that you're getting it from a trustworthy source. You're not getting any additives or anything like that. Avoid using blends. Make sure that you've only got things like cypress and um, you know, no softwoods, no pine, no cedar, anything like that. So as long as you're careful, you can really pull it off pretty easily. Moving on to the next great tip where we can save is really controlling your food source. And that's either making your own media for uh, flies if you keep if you keep dark frogs or growing your own feeders. Providing quality nutrition is an important part of proper husbandry. It should be noted that you can feed your animals a healthy diet without going to financial extremes, though. One of the simplest ways to do this is to grow your own feeders or use your own media or or both. There are many prepared media recipes out there that are on the pricey side, and many people opt for them out of convenience or out of preference, but in the end, all the recipes are very similar at a basic level, and you can make your own at home in bulk and save. 
There's many good recipes online using a combination of potato flakes, yeast, sugar, and a few other odds and ends that will feed your flies at a percentage of what you'd pay for a pre-made media. I've been making my own media for years now after a little tinkering, and I've got nothing but success. The bottom line is the bottom line. I source my materials separately. I make them up in a big batch, store my media in my freezer, and I'm good for months. So rather than spending X amount of dollars on a three-pound bag of pre-made media, I can buy five pounds of potato flakes, sugar, etc., add everything together, and it's going to be much less expensive in the long term. Obviously, you want to make sure that the media works for the intended purpose, it's got enough nutrients in it, but really the sky is the limit here. So you don't necessarily have to buy pre-made media to be able to do it on your own. So if you're concerned about that, I mean, it's not that hard. You know, like I said, there's plenty of recipes online. Perhaps maybe one day I'll, I'll kind of spill the beans and give you guys my recipe. But for all intents and purposes, they are very similar. And there's a lot of resources online that'll help you in the right direction. If you keep other species like Pac-Man frogs, pixies, etc., you know how expensive a trip to the pet store can be to get feeders. Well, just like dog frogs, you can culture your own feeders into a way at home that will almost go into perpetuity with a very, very small initial investment. Best way to go is dubia roaches. Um, They're a staple feeder for so many species, and they can come close to crickets as a number one, really, especially for larger animals. I started my dubia colony well over 10 years ago, and it's been going strong ever since. I started out with 20 adults. I stuck them in a big used aquarium, which was ironically one of the old 29s that I mentioned earlier. One of those tanks had a little bit of a crack in it. It wouldn't hold water. So that became my dubia roach enclosure. I fed them vegetables, odds and ends, etc. Anything to make sure that their nutritional content was good. And bingo, after a few months, I had almost an inexhaustible supply of food for my larger frogs. There are animals that I've in fact raised that have had their whole, you know, uh, main diet come from that colony, like my bearded dragon, for example. I've never even bought these animals crickets except for an occasional treat. And to be honest, the dubia colony really helped me through the whole COVID lockdowns when a lot of these pet stores were closed and you couldn't get crickets. So financially, it's also a great way if there's ever a supply issue. You know, if the cricket supply, dubia supply ever goes down and prices go up, you have your own stuff at home that you're making for basically, you know, pennies, some leftover vegetables and whatnot. It goes a long way, and that's uh, really an inexhaustible feed, uh, food source for you. I know that in some areas they are illegal, and um, I know I think like Florida and whatnot, I think parts of Canada. Um, if that's the case, I, to be honest, I really don't have a more appropriate answer for you other than to maybe if you're buying crickets, buy in bulk and keep them in a bin for a while. Um, but dubia roaches, if you can get a hold of them, it's a great way to sell, uh, you know, excuse me, not ready to sell, um, great way to maintain a nice steady supply of feeders that you really won't have to supplement. Another great way to save is, again, buy in bulk. Uh, expos can be great for this. If you have a frog that eats pinkies, for example, buy your pinkies in a, in a Ziploc bag frozen, stick them in your freezer if you're okay with that. And that's another great way to save. So, I mean, I've gotten deals on rodents and whatnot at expos that you'd, you'd never get in a local pet store, especially if, um, you know, you're only buying one at a time. The prices can go up. So, you know, buy a bit. Look, buy a pack of 50. Stick them in the freezer. Hopefully, no, you know, your husband, wife, whatever, you know, they don't, they don't have a problem with that. But um, I do it at home with my spare freezer and I'm set for the year. So I don't have to worry about that as well because remember, prices of stuff is going to go up. 
Another thing that you can consider is also raising your own worms if you want to raise earthworms or uh, in the U- outside of the U.S., they call them Morio worms, but they call them superworms here, mealworms, etc. I've never done it myself, so I really can't comment on how easy or difficult it is. But from what I understand, it's it's relatively straightforward. So again, that's another way to have your own constant source of feeders without having to worry about going to the store, without having to you know deal with competitive prices. If you're concerned about dart frogs and you want to save you know, some money with uh, not only your homemade media, but also the containers that you use, you can wash out old fruit fly cups and lids and save that way. Uh, if you're buying fruit fly culture containers in bulk and using them and throw them away, that's a great way to save. I, I've had this huge bag that I got like two years ago, and I've still only gone through like half of it. But if you really want to be budget conscious as best as possible... You can reuse those things. I found that the deli cups that have the the plastic punctured lids or uh, punctured lids are a little bit easier to clean than the fabric. Uh, I know some people disagree. Some people have the opposite opinion. That's cool. But look, basically at the end of the day, it's just a piece of plastic. So a wash with some warm water and a, a drop of dish soap and, and rinse it really well is enough to do the trick. Let it air dry and you're ready to go again. They'll pretty much last forever. And realistically, it is a much better goal environmentally. Um, I know that a lot of us are very, very big on conservation and the environment, but when you think about it, we are technically technically being kind of wasteful when we're throwing out fruit fly cultures constantly. So, uh, look, if you can get a bag of 10 and some lids, that should give you enough to make your cultures for a couple of frogs and really never have to buy them ever again if you're making your own. So that's another great way to save. The main goal to take away here is really the convenience price. Like, remember, everything that we've described so far, you're paying more because you're paying for the convenience fee. You're paying for a pre-measured amount, pre-cut glass, pre-made enclosures, etc. So if you're willing to put the work in, that's a great way to really make your budget kind of stretch out. And finally, one of the easiest ways to stay within your budget is to understand what your carrying capacity is. So this is kind of the hardest one, and that's really being able to know how many animals that you can keep financially. And that's one of the hardest things to do because you know you're going to go to an expo, you're going to go online, and you're going to see that frog, that salamander, that toe that you know you've wanted for a really long, really long time, but you know you've got kind of enough that you can handle or more that you can handle at home. So you want to get an idea of what your carrying capacity is, how many animals you can handle. Uh, I mean, if you really want to be on the best budget you can, one should be enough, but you may have to resist that that urge to buy a new you know to buy a new species to buy an additional animal and that's really the best way to keep things from getting expensive because the more mouths you have to feed the more enclosures you're going to have to clean the more you know the more feeders you're going to have to buy all that stuff and that can really drive the price point up in fact that's where i see a lot of people kind of reach a point where they they kind of crash and they actually lose money in the end if they can no longer keep their animals remember it's much easier to take your time and get rid of a single enclosure with a single frog than it is to get rid of an entire collection because not everybody's going to want to come in and, and buy your whole collection off. And again, if you want to save some money, most people aren't going to pay you the same per frog as they would for an entire collection as they would pay for a single frog if that's one of those things where you have to get out of the hobby fast, whatever, you have a financial crisis where you really can't keep anything. So it's not something you're going to want to have to have a lot of excess to to, to deal with in the end. So that's Really, the easiest and the hardest way to do it. Think about what you intend, what your goals are for your collection. Do you want to have more than one frog, and can you handle it? So, if financially you can only handle one frog, you can only handle one frog. But you know what? There's no shame in that because other things can come up. 
You might need a vet visit. You might need fecals done. Light fixtures break. Prices of things change. And there's going to be some long-term costs in it. But like I said, if you're willing to think outside the box, be a little bit creative, be able to source materials on your own, be able to make your own foods, be self-sufficient. If I, listen, I have well over 35 frogs, which is not a huge collection. But for me, if I bought all my bags of substrate, all my feeders, all my cultures, all my culture media, it would cost me an absolute fortune. And I'm able to do it. I've been doing it for years like this. There's no harm in not going, not buying brand name stuff. So if that's what you're into, if that's what works for you, if you feel more comfortable buying things that are brand made, that's fine. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. There are great manufacturers out there. There are wonderful people out there who make great pre-made stuff. It takes all the guesswork out of it. But if you want to be a little bit more adventurous and you're in a situation where you might need to be more financially cautious, then these are some great things to consider. And uh, like I said, there's some great resources out there. I've done some episodes that like, uh, for example, the great substrate debate, uh, you go back quite a few episodes. I did an episode on, on that. I did an episode on how to culture your own fruit flies. And if you listen to some of the other old episodes, there's a lot of hacks, big box stores taking advantage of that. Uh, there's an episode back, you know, back a while. Um, I really should reference all these in the show, in the show notes, but in any event, there's plenty of opportunities out there for you to save maintain a controllable collection. Don't get ahead of yourself. I remember when I was young, I got that bug in me and I wanted to have everything. Do that. Financially, it should be okay. And other than that, uh, well, actually, you know, last thing, last thing I can say, if you do want to really be financially self-sufficient with your hobby, best thing to do is to be able to make a profit off of it. So if you do have a species that's in demand, and you want to breed, let's just say you have, uh, well, I mean, they're not cheap, but if say you have large Ufaga, you might want to consider being able to sell those offspring off, or if you have a new locale, Tinctorius, Philobates, whatever. If you can find a buyer, remember, don't let yourself get overrun with, with young ones that you can't get rid of, but if you have a buyer, that can be some ways to support your hobby. Hey, look, if you sell a couple of froglets each year and you make a few hundred bucks, there's your overhead right there. So in any event, uh, like I said, I know it was a quick episode. I wanted to put something out. I had a little extra time. And uh, I just want to make you guys aware that you can you can do this on a budget. You can manage your finances in such a way that you shouldn't have to give up your hobby completely. And if you want to get into it without really breaking the bank, say you're a younger person or you're in a financial situation where you really can't buy that massively expensive enclosure, you can use a, a more reasonably priced enclosure. There's no shame in that. You can make your own feeders. You can do all that. And it's a great, honestly, I think it's, I think it's great. I think that it's a, a more rewarding aspect of it because you have a more intimate relationship with the hobby in general. So other than that, all that out of the way, I hope you guys enjoyed it. I know it was a, I know it was a brief episode. I, may, I hope I didn't repeat myself too much. But uh, yeah, other than that, I hope you guys enjoyed it. Catch up with you again soon.